Welcome to episode 188 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. So to start off this new year on The Digital Life, we're going to discuss cyber rights and the right to disconnect law that recently took effect in France on January 1st of 2017. So if you haven't heard about this, basically, after hours, uh, the French, uh, if they're part of a company of 50 or more people, no longer need to pay attention to work email uh, for reasons of health and well-being. And basically, companies need to set up hours where their uh, employees can uh, effectively disconnect. Um, So it looks like Uh, Those enlightened humanists in France are now staking out some some new territory for for rights in the digital age, for for cyber rights. So I wanted to talk a little bit about this this law because I I think it's fairly unique. Um, Whether it's going to be a groundbreaking law, you know, uh, remains to be seen. And and then also uh, dig into... Uh, digital human rights or cyber rights. So we spend so much of our time online, connected, communicating, posting things, uh, creating things, uh, that we have this world that's very much tied to our physical world, but nonetheless, it's the the cyber world of information. And there are a host of, of rights that I think we're beginning to look into developing uh, and and you know this this French law is just sort of on on the outskirts of those rights, but but certainly one worth discussing because we're basically talking about uh, labor rights in some respect. So so Dirk, do you want to weigh in a little bit on 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 the French law, and then and then I have this list of potential cyber rights that I want to run by you as well. Sure, sure. So. You know, the, the French law really um, struck a personal note for me. And the reason for that is when I was younger, it's less over the last few years, but I mean, when, when I was younger, I was basically working 17 hours a day. Like, wow. um, you know, I, I would be spending a little bit of the time with family, but um, even when I'm there, like the email's going and if something important comes in, I'm going to respond to it. And there's someone who I worked with for, for a long time, uh, worked very closely and you know, certainly email was a big part of um, our communication, um, probably more so for me. I've always been a heavy emailer. I'm introverted. It just email as a medium suits me pretty well. There came a point where his wife wrote me and said, Dirk, you can't send emails on the weekend anymore. She said, all weekend emails flow in from you with all these big initiatives, requests, things to do. And, and my husband gets more and more stressed, more and more anxious, more and more unhappy because, because your emails keep coming in. She says, you just, you just can't do it anymore. And, um, I was in my thirties at that point. And so, you know, I had been emailing my way, which is, you know, 24 seven essentially, uh, for, for many years and just oblivious to the possibility that for another person, that flow of communication, um, in certain times, in certain volumes would be a negative, would be something that, had a deleterious effect on them because at that phase in my life, I was just sort of wired to be, to be always working and always, always going. It wasn't, 
it, it may have been um, subconsciously and internally stressful for me in ways I wasn't in touch with. But um, consciously, when emails would come in, I, I didn't feel stress. I just like attacked them. I just took them. I just went right to them. I, I, the, 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 the metaphor I've used for email is tennis. It's like playing tennis. And so I would run around the court making sure the balls were always in the other people's court, basically. Um, so, you know, fast forward now to today and, and France is identifying the fact that, you know, email, receiving email, feeling a compulsion to respond to email, um, the requests that email may contain that, um, spur someone to other action at certain times and certain proportions, um, isn't good for you. It's, it's unhealthy in ways large or small. And, um, I think, I think that's an important recognition um, I, pr I don't think that the French law, you, you know, you, you said the sort of, we don't know yet, you know, is it, is it just one little thing? Is it visionary? It's probably one little thing. I mean, France has done a trailblazer in, um, affecting labor law that basically no one else adopts. Right? right. So, you know, France famously did the 30 hour work week. I don't know how many years ago, but sometime this decade, mm -hmm. um, you know, nobody else is doing that. Or maybe, you know, maybe there's a few small countries, but the, the main pillars of, of the economy, um, uh, certainly are not, you know, they're, they're going by the, the old rules, um, and the old modes. So I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm happy that this law is sort of making us think more about the, the impacts of modern technology on human life, um, you know, sort of first world life. I mean, to make it more specific. Um, but I, I don't think that this law in and of itself is, is going to amount to a sea change of any sort. Yeah, I I do think it's it's a salvo in in the uh, sort of digital rights for for workers category, and I'll I'll expand on that a little. I do think that call them creative class or knowledge workers. I don't think we've had that uh, uh, moment of reckoning that physical labor had during the say early nineteen hundreds where labor uh, start you know started getting organized and 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 sort of staked out uh, certain rights that we all benefit from today. So for instance, the 40 hour work week was you know tied to the labor movement, same same thing with uh, with weekends. Otherwise, you know factory life in you know uh, the early 1900s was you know, uh, work all the time at very, you know, in very dangerous conditions, potentially. So as digital workers, we're still sort of, you know, uh, floating, for lack of a better word, in terms of determining what it is that we're going to stake our claim to in, you know, in terms of what is work, what is, what is separate from work, what is, um, what you know? What kind of rights uh, do we want to have? What aspects of the digital life are freeing? What are actually you know just another shed a, set of shackles um, under you know under the guise of um, uh, transformative technology? Right. So uh, I think that could be a topic for its own show. But it but but I do think that that digital workers' rights have yet to be. Um, 
well-defined and that goes across all aspects of labor law from you know independent you know the independent contractors i'll put that in quotes for you know who drive for uber to the hollywood model that you know generates uh you, you know where you bring teams together just for short projects and then everybody goes their own way i mean these are all sort of ways of working that are um very much you know important in uh uh, this digital world that we live in, and and we haven't quite worked out all of the legal niceties and uh, philosophical uh, niceties and 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 other aspects. Um, uh, you know, add to that the fact that there are a lot of organizations that that came up during the uh, uh, 20th century that are now sort of decaying. Uh, you know, whether it be labor organization, traditional labor organizations, or or um, uh, uh, groups that are uh, for society's benefits, like like the, the the Lions Club, for instance, all of these organi- organizing principles that that uh, gave uh, the labor movement uh, cohesion are are no longer um, you know holding their own quite as much in this uh, this new digital world. You know, I, I really like the historical analogy that you've you've drawn to early 20th century and industrial revolution. But I think I think things are going to go on differently now. And, and there's there's a few reasons why. Number one is at that time, the worst part of your life was work. You know, you would go in, you'd lose fingers, you wouldn't be able to sleep. You know, you'd have these it was it was it was, you know, <laughs> human uh, slavery, human torture, human. I mean, it was really. Um, the, the worst part of your life was the work experience. And now the worst part of your life is not the work experience. So yeah, you know, I mean, using email as, as the, the example, it can be stressful to get email at night. It can be stressful to get email on vacation on the weekend, yada, yada, yada. But that's not the worst part of our lives. The worst part of our lives is not the work part. It's the life part. It's the fact that we're addicted to sugar. It's the fact that we're addicted to salt. It's the fact that we are addicted to, the cult of the new. It's the fact that we are in this broken capitalist paradigm that makes us fat, that makes us inattentive, that makes us feel unfulfilled. So there were enormous um, there, there were enormous reasons why the industrial revolution needed to be reformed, and the the inhumanity of work needed to be brought more in line with with what's appropriate. But it's so much farther down the list now. Like um, the the issues we have around some of the personal things that I said, around some of the more systemic things around global warming, like the fact that email stresses us out is is just not a big deal on the list. Whereas child labor laws and and some of the things that didn't exist over a hundred years ago, like the absence of those, were were sort of at the at the fulcrum of what was wrong with civilization. The things that are wrong with civilization now are really far removed from the plight of the digital worker, which is not to say that those aren't negative things, but it's going to be a lot harder to coalesce around that as the rallying cry in this environment of, of plenty and where, where the real issues and the real things that are killing us are happening at a very different level. Yeah, I, I, I take your point on that. I, I do think there are some intimate connections there between, you know, you talked about health and, uh, and sugar and, and, uh, and, and all of those things that are sort of incorporated into our, our um, you know, everyday life and eating habits and things like that. I think, 
you know, some of that certainly has a uh, a relationship to our to our work as well. So so we're all sedentary when we're like digital workers tend to be sedentary when they're working. So 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 just getting away from the computer and I don't know going outside, right? Um, that requires you to disconnect, but it also uh, enables you to get some exercise or what have you. So, so I do think there there are sort of intimate connections between the problems that digital workers face and you know these cyber rights. They're just not as straightforward as okay, the kid is you know eight years old and he's working in a factory and he's going to get sucked into a machine. I mean, uh, those those are sort of easier to see like. Yeah, that kid shouldn't be in there at all. Versus, hey, I'm in front of a computer, um, twelve hours a day or whatever. I'm not getting enough exercise, and so that's stressing, you know, my heart or my uh, cardiovascular system or whatever. Um, they're they're the physical ramifications of a work life, uh, a work and lifestyle, um, but they're they're not, uh, you know, it's not like Upton Sinclair's like the jungle, right? There's there's no horrific. Uh, uh, payoff um, for that. It's it's more like over time those those things will weigh on right, the digital right. worker. That's so, true. Yeah, it's far more insidious. Right. So I I did want to take a, a a few minutes to run some of these other uh, digital we'll call them digital rights or cyber rights by you just because I think we've covered a lot of these um, over time in our. Uh, previous episodes, and I never quite put them all together uh, under under sort of cyber rights before, and and I wanted to get your uh, opinion on them. So so thinking about our digital lives and and all the things that we generate uh, with uh, with digital, uh, the, these these are some of the rights that I think are going to shape up. Uh, over uh, the next year and moving forward, um, we often talk about you know having a right to your your own health data, but there's this uh, uh, idea that that there's there's data that that we generate that should be ours. So 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 I see a right to data um, in light of cyberbullying and uh, you know online trolling and all of those things. Uh, I see a right not to be harassed um, uh, forming. Um, now, now here, here, here's a tough one. Do we have also a right to privacy in the digital life? Um, we, we, you know, we like to think so in our in our physical world, but the um, uh, right to privacy is is something that's going to be really uh, tough. Um, and that sort of goes along with with the cybersecurity, right? Um, and then, a uh, I, I think we're we're going to see uh, coming down the road some some kind of right to you know some civic rights. Uh, maybe it's it's about voting online. Maybe we have a right to vote online. Uh, but those you know four or five different rights are, are ones that I see bubbling up from. Uh, the conversations we're having here on the podcast, the news, generally speaking, and, uh, you know, the way things are going, uh, you know, de developing uh, rights in cyberspace. Uh, what do you think of those, Dirk? Are, are, those, are those real developments or am I, uh, am I off here? Well, it's a big list, John. Um, where do you want to start? <laughs> 
let's uh, let's start with uh, with with the right to our own our own data. Um, just uh, it's something that we talk about a lot here at the studio, but um, uh, you know I, I feel like that's uh, an important one, especially in the health field. Yeah, I mean I think that's a murky one. I think that's the murkiest of all because. What what does your data mean, right? When when I walk into a store, they have a sensor that records that a person walked into the store. Is that inclusive in my data? When I'm out on the street, there are cameras filming, and some of them can make out my face and could could come in tight on my face, and and that's data out there. Is that my data? So to me, that's the the trickiest because it it requires a crisp definition of what quote unquote your data is. And I haven't seen a good um, thesis for, for what that should be. And I think getting to the bottom of it is, is going to be tricky. Yeah, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're probably right about the uh, sort of the broadness of that. Um, you know, even, even health data, right? There's, there, there's all sorts of um, uh, trickiness associated with that. And that's, you know, reasonably easy to define relative to, uh, to the other data that we generate. Um, I, second in my list was, uh, and, and this, you know, has kind of uh, come to the fore recently, that the right not to be harassed, um, that, that is a, uh, uh, you know, a growing problem, I think, online. That one's hard as well, because that goes right in the face of free speech. And free speech is, is arguably the most important tenet of the U.S. Constitution, of the rules that govern the United States. Um, what constitutes harassment? When is someone being harassed? I mean, one of the most important parts of a free speech policy is the, um, you know, that someone, I'll, I'll butcher the quote, but that you may hate what someone is saying, but you'll defend to your death their right to say mm -hmm. it. So that is inherently defending the ugliest of speech, the most hurtful of speech. And particularly now that we're in a, a social environment, where there is hypersensitivity to anything that comes from, from one person's mouth or behavior and how that's taken by others and is, is translated into hurt um, is, is really nettlesome. So I, I think that, I mean, the trends are certainly tipping towards what you're suggesting. However, I think Donald Trump's presidency and the Republican control of the government um, will probably ensure that... Um, that, that nothing is happening soon because, <laughs> because most of the people who are like, oh, you know, sort of, you know, FPC kind of thing. I mean, th those are all on, on the right and the right is in control. So uh, we're probably not going to see anything soon, um, you know, from a legislative perspective, but um, certainly from a social perspective, there's been a huge swing left towards, um, you know, I think even hypersensitivity and to the point of, um, you know, not having sort of a sensible filter of, you know, let's, let's not be bruised by, by every, by every little indirect thing that wasn't intended for us and has little to do with us. Yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be an ongoing, uh, um, debate for sure. So, so the next one I had on the list was, uh, whether or not we have any privacy rights online anymore. And of course we do. I mean, in, in terms of, uh, you know, it, generally speaking, the, the laws protect um, uh, our privacy to, to an extent. Uh, but, but I feel like, 
at least in 2016, the the amount of of hacking that we saw where people's uh, private emails were exposed or companies' data was exposed or even, you know, even at the high, highest levels of, uh, of, of government in the U.S. Uh, presidential race, uh, practically it feels like privacy is, is you know, being eroded, uh, you know, to what extent that is, you know, for, for our benefit because we want all these nice things online, you know, I, I'm not sure, but it 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 feels like a right that's in flux. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen on, on the legal side. I've said a lot of times on the show before that all of us should expect that anything we are creating digitally on a networked device is out in the wild, is known by other people, is stored somewhere where if we become a, a politician in the future – it is going to resurface and is going to shove us in the back. Um, you just need to take that for granted. And if you're not taking it for granted, if you're saying you're going to be fine or it's not happening, then then you're being really um, unfortunately naive and, and you're going to be hurt by that at some point. And and the last uh, right I had in in my ad hoc list here was was a right to vote online, uh, which you know, given all of that, all of the. Uh, uh, sort of hacking in and around our our recent election. I don't know if that will ever come to be, but it seems like something that you know could potentially engage more people, uh, especially uh, when you talk about uh, people having difficulty, you know, getting to polling places or uh, you know other reasons why they might not be able to uh, to vote. Uh, voting online seems seems like it's it, it's a right that. That should be coming and is probably practically much more more difficult than uh, than I care to imagine. Yeah, I mean, if you know, if the current hegemony keeps marching forward, then it certainly will happen. Um, it probably isn't soon. Again, with with the U.S. political and I'm, I'm most of my comments on the show are directed towards the U.S. It's it's the culture I'm in. It's the culture I know. Um, with you know, with the recent um, you know U.S. political changes. It certainly isn't going to happen for the next four to eight years, um, and then even after that, you know, who who knows? It's not something that would happen um, happen very quickly, certainly. But you know, as, as time moves forward on the current path, we're getting you know more and more integrated into our machines. Um, you know, I was just reading something else, something recently that sort of full mind to machine interface integration is less than a decade away. I think that was from the head of robotics at MIT. Um, in that world, it, it, simply a lot of things that right now we have to move in physical space to achieve, we're not going to have to move in physical space to achieve anymore. And I mean, voting is just sort of a, a clear and, and obvious example of something that will, will fall into that. Now, the other way all of this could go, of course, is there's uncertainty, um, in terms of the effects of global warming, you know, there's who knows what's going to happen geopolitically, um, at sort of a macro level. It is not a done deal that technology is going to continue to advance and uh, we're, we're going to continue heading towards the singularity to use to use that particular um, theory of it. Uh, there are things that could happen that definitely stop stop that march and that turn things around or make us manifest in more analog um, and, and what some people might even say backward ways. I don't expect that to happen, but that there's a real chance that that could happen um, with with some of the things that are happening um, around the world and 
just our our ability and our meaning sort of an individual human in the generic to impact major damage to to other people and to to countries and and, and potentially to to the whole world. So, um, yeah, we'll 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 have to see. Um, but you know, voting will will really I think fall out of does technology keep progressing in the way that it is, or are there nasty things happening to civilization? that slow the whole boat down in which, I mean, the last thing we're going to be worried about at that point is voting online. Yeah. So this, this conversation all started, of course, around the, uh, uh, the French, uh, you know, passing this law around, around, uh, labor rights and, and email. Uh, but I thought it was a, a good sort of first shot at, uh, you know, establishing some of, some of these digital rights online and, uh, you know, sort of look forward to seeing how all this develops. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player.fm, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios which you can check out at goinvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O dot com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at dneemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 188 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time.